yeah, not going to lie. I'm constantly searching for that end-all, be-all, maybe this is it. You know, human beings have, I think, a tremendous ability to become inherently dissatisfied in one of two ways. Either one, they've yet to hit a goal that they've always wanted to achieve, and so they're dissatisfied along the way up that they haven't achieved it, or they've just hit a huge goal that they've always wanted to achieve, and now they look back and say, what next? Captain Obvious notes that this podcast should not be relied on for medical advice. It is for entertainment purposes only and is designed to offer a new perspective for consideration. Please consult with your doctor for your own personalized medical care. Psychedelic-assisted therapies have been exploding in the news lately. As it's being decriminalized throughout the nation and has proven in study after study in a controlled and medically supervised environment, it is showing that it's reducing anxiety, depression, OCD, ADHD, and so much more. And today, I wanted to learn about ketamine. Ketamine is a dissociative anesthetic that when used in a controlled medical environment has shown pretty profound results. It is the only fully approved psychedelic that can be prescribed in these settings. And I wanted to learn more, so I invited my friend back to the podcast, Chris Shembra. Chris is a best-selling author. USA Today has named him the Gratitude Guru. He serves as a founding member of the Culture Council for Rolling Stone magazine and is the founder of 747 Gratitude Experience, which typically serve Fortune 500 companies and their executive boards too. Now, if you haven't heard his past interviews with me, uh, it is the third time he's been on my podcast. Make sure that you mark it. I've linked them in the show notes. His episode on BDSM, like bondage and kink, was by far the craziest interview I've ever done. But like me, Chris recently had his own experience with psychedelic-assisted therapy and used ketamine. He is sharing his experience with us today. Here is our chat. If you'd like to listen to these episodes ad-free and early and support an independent podcaster, that's me, sign up at patreon.com forward slash culture changers or go to allisonhair.com for the direct link. Yes, we are back with Chris Shembra for the third time. Welcome back, Chris. <laughs> One of my favorite guests. What's what's the record? Like, who's your uh, who's Cindy your most, Robinson? Uh, Cindy Robinson. Wow. She's been on. I think she's been on five times, but then she's been on like a a co. What is it like a co-host capacity? So she's been on a bunch of times. Love it. You know, earlier uh, behind that, that's you, pre- Chris. Yes, deal. Uh, earlier in our pre-show chat, you had asked, you know, w- you know, what are you excited about for this chat, and and maybe why did I say yes to this chat and telling this story? And and I looked at you, and I think Cindy would say the same thing. You know, the reason that I have said yes three times to coming on your podcast is because your questions are so good, and you create such a safe space for people that I get to learn about myself by the way you are curious about me. And that's such a rare thing these days, and it's such a gift that you have. And so anytime you invite me to anything, 
the automatic answer is yes. And then what are we doing? But it's always a yes. Oh my goodness. And there's not that many people Don't that make I got me that cry, right. So Chris? thank you. You did that the first time is the surprise. <laughs> let, let me just do a quick rewind and I'll put the the previous episode in the show notes because they are so freaking notable. So the first time you came on, you are the best-selling author of this book, Gratitude and Pasta. It was, you are known by USA Today as the gratitude guru. And this book, Gratitude and Pasta, was ranked number two on the Forbes, li Forbes list of books in 2020. And recently yeah. you just uh, published another book called Gratitude Through, Through Hard Times. What I think is interesting about you is the gratitude guru. It is not the fluff of just, oh, I'm thankful for the sky and the air. It's so different. And you work with Fortune 500 companies that completely transforms how people connect and interact with each other, but also how they connect back to themselves. So there's a quick <laughs> recap on the first one, but you made me cry at the end. I was not expecting it. And I will forever be grateful for you for breaking me down like that because I usually hold it together was so not expected. And really you saw me and that, and, and I wasn't used to that. And then you came on last year when I was doing a series on sex to talk about BDSM. Who knew? <laughs> but you, <laughs> one of my favorite things about Chris Shembra is that you are by far the most honest. And not only honest, you have a way of shifting perspectives of where people might immediately think something else. And then when you put it into context, you're like, oh, I had no idea. So go back and lis listen to it. That was by far the craziest interview I've done. And uh, it's <laughs> the BDSM one, which is like bondage, right? Like kink, right? Kink. I'm like, yeah. what's the word for yeah, freak? Yeah. Kink. <laughs> <laughs> oh, getting I want to normalize that word though. Yes. Oh, getting yeah. freaky is what I, what I meant. And so today you're back on for a completely different reason that you, like me, have had your first experience. I think it's your first experience with psychedelic assisted therapy. And first, in your clin first clinical experience with uh, doctor driven therapy, I should okay, say. Okay. Yes. For ketamine. <laughs> You are right. I immediately reached out and I was like, I want to hear more. Can you tell me more? Yeah. I don't know a lot about ketamine. I didn't know a lot about psilocybin, which is one that if you have not heard, I've also been down that path to do it in a, a, a therapeutic way that was supervised. So it wasn't like, mm. you know, with a lava lamp, just dropping acid <laughs> and looking at horses run up uh, on the ceiling with neon colors. It was something much more intentional. So Chris, I've been talking way too much. Tell me, what is ketamine? <laughs> Tell me a little bit about, can you give us some background on, on why you did this? Yes. Um, first of all, I, I think I have to say it I am not an expert on ketamine. For those of you who are listening or watching this, I'm just a guy who got to participate in ketamine. It It is a fully legal substance, first of all. So nothing that we're talking about on this podcast today is anything illegal whatsoever. It's been used in a legal capacity since 1962, And I it believe. has, like um, you can get prescription, right? Yes. Yeah. So you can, you can go and... Um, 
I think mainly get uh, uh, nasal sprays is is mainly how it's administered in a prescription format. You know, drugs come in all shapes and sizes. Ketamine is what's known as a disassociative. And traditionally, it's been used a lot as an anesthetic in uh, surgery capacities. Um, and again, I'm not an expert in ketamine at all, but from from what I knew about it, it was safe enough to be used on kids and during surgeries mm. in order to create some kind of, uh, you know, an, anest- an anesthesia alternative, um, especially back in the 60s and 70s before anesthesia was like a super safe thing to do. And so when you think of a disassociative, when you think of that word, the sole goal of ketamine is for essentially your mind to disassociate with your body. Mm. Why that's good in surgeries is that you could give a kid a surgical anesthetic uh, like ketamine without having to put them under fully. So the kid's still awake. It's just that the drug disassociates their mind from whatever the surgery is happening in their body. Beyond that, I don't know much more about the the journey or the timeline that ketamine has taken to become a like fully legal drug that can be prescribed literally over the counter. You know, I've I've participated with ketamine in a recreational sense only actually for the last I mean only only 3 times and it's only been in the last couple months. And what I had I I first did it at my buddy Steve's uh, birthday party and they gave me the lightest dosage possible. So it's not like I even fully took the drug. I just got a, a slight whiff of it, as you would say. And from my experience, it felt safe. From my experience, it was a very limited time frame, right? I remember in, in my first recreational experimentation, you know, I was only affected for maybe 45 minutes or an hour. You know, when you do psilocybin, you might be under for four or five hours. And I don't yeah. mean under, but I mean, you, you might be having a, a good old time for about right. four to five hours. If you take LSD or acid or MDMA, it could be longer. Um, you know, if you take acid, you're, you're out there for like a day. Right. Uh, but ketamine was about 45 minutes. And so it made it really accessible for me to try in a social setting. And because I had such a safe group of people around me that were giving a very low dosage, then when the opportunity presented itself, you know, a few months later, just about a month and a half ago, um, it was a little bit easier to say yes. So, so that's a baseline layer of, 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 of ketamine f- from, from my neophyte understanding. So thank you for that. What I'm interested to explore is you have a long history with depression, um, Mm -hmm. with a lot of other ones. So I'm wondering why would you take it recreationally? Is, is it just to kind of get lost and have fun? And what would make you like, what was your hope taking it in a clinical sense? What made you decide Mm -hmm. this is a good path for me? Great question. A lot of different answers in there. Depression, non-suicidal self-injury, rehab. Non-suicidal self-injury in in your case, or that that could be known as cutting, right? Cutting, burning, scratching, any form of self-harm or self-mutilation or self-injury. Right. This could be banging your head on the door. I used to beat myself up as a kid and blame Mm -hmm. it on others. I used to pretty much non-suicidal self-injury, NSSI as it's called in the clinical setting, is not one's want to end 
their life. It's not suicidal ideation, two vastly different things. It's mainly just a cry out for help. Mm. And sometimes we don't educate our kids or even adults how to ask for the help they need in life. In my case, I was put on a high dosage of amphetamines at a very young age. I mean, I was on 86 milligrams of Adderall every day since I was five. Wow. Five. If anybody who's watching this has a college-aged kid or has uh, your friend Nancy's college-aged kid took Adderall to stay up all night and pulled an all-nighter and studied for a test, they probably took five to 10 milligrams. I was on 86 since I was five. Wow. So- So what did that say to me at a young age is that no matter how much I scream out for help, nobody's going to help me. They're going to keep me on those medicines in order to keep me to shut up, right? I was put on those medicines because it was wild and I was free and I was creative and I was curious and I was going, and they called that ADHD. And so, so a lot of my trauma, right? We all have trauma. Like, let's be real. Trauma is relative. You're probably watching this, listening to this, seeing some white guy in his office in his Brooklyn apartment saying, what does this kid know about trauma? Trauma is relative. Me stubbing my toe on a desk could be trauma and you having your mother leave you is not trauma. It's all relative. It's trauma is, you know, the effects of trauma are not due to the trauma itself. It's based on our response to that trauma. You can either have a negative response to the trauma or a positive response to the trauma. A negative response would create post-traumatic stress. A positive response would create post-traumatic growth. Anyways, so my trauma is is just, you know, the, the medicine and feeling like I couldn't actually say anything as a kid and just going through the motions, blah, blah, blah. So I've tried it all. I've tried you know, they threw me in rehab for a year. Is that going to fix them? No. They, they tried throwing me in jail for a couple nights. Is that going to fix them? No. I tried going to dominatrixes for so many years. Is that going to fix me? No. Was it fun? Yeah. <laughs> Did it fix me fully? Not fully, but it's helping. And the list goes on and on. Hypnotherapy, talk therapy, BDSM therapy, whatever. Tried it all. And I was at a picnic just like three months ago or something, two months ago. And I ran into my friend Marissa. And I hadn't seen Marissa in probably 10 and a half years, 10 years. So good seeing Marissa that I then emailed her the next week saying, hey, I just thought about you to bring you in to do a workshop for one of my clients. Can we catch up? I know it's been 10 years, but can we catch up? And on that call, I said, so what are you doing in life? She said, well, one of the fun things I'm doing is I'm interim director of PR for this amazing place called Nushama Wellness, Psychedelic Assisted Therapy. Mm. And I said, oh, I've done talk therapy, hypnotherapy, BDSM therapy, psychedelic therapy. Now that was intriguing. And that was the first moment that I even considered ever doing it in a clinical setting. One of the things that I learned about ketamine 
and psilocybin and some of these clinical psychedelic things is they're seeing so much advances and positive net positive benefits of coupling therapy with the psychedelic assisted in a controlled environment. But it is designed for people that do suffer with depression, with suicidal ideation, but they are resistant to medicine. And I imagine, mm-hmm. or the, the uh, uh, prescription medicine. Treatment, treatment yeah. resistant. Treatment resistant, exactly. Treatment imagine, resistant therapy. But I imagine you being on 86 <laughs> grams or milligram, whatever it is, of Adderall at such a young age. Good Lord, yes, you're treatment resistant. So are you yeah. thinking at this point, is this a silver bullet? Is, the, is this the panacea that's finally going to give me some peace? Because what I know about you is that your life has always been polar opposite. So what people see is this super successful guy with this incredible creativity. And like you're working with CEOs of Fortune 500 companies and built this business out of nothing and rebuilt it in the pandemic when everything shut down and that whole business was obsolete and you pivoted. And so people can look at you. You've got the girlfriend, you've got the place and in, in uh, Brooklyn. You are a white dude. You've got everything. And on the other hand, you're like, no, I'm really struggling. I'm really struggling. And you have always struggled. You struggled based on the conversations that I've had with you. You have struggled because you didn't, you didn't fit in any box and nobody could see you because they couldn't put you in a box. And, and that was really a hard for you. So what happens when you are presented with this opportunity? What are you thinking at this point? First of all, thank you for seeing me. Thank you for understanding my story. You have certainly listened or watched or connected, you know, with me enough to understand me. And that's a beautiful feeling for me to have. So thank you for that. When presented with this opportunity, yeah, not going to lie, I'm constantly searching for that end-all, be-all, maybe this is it. You know, human beings have, I think, a tremendous ability to become inherently dissatisfied in one of two ways. Either one, they've yet to hit a goal that they've always wanted to achieve. And so they're dissatisfied along the way up that they haven't achieved it. Or they've just hit a huge goal that they've always wanted to achieve. And then they look back and say, what next? So June 22nd, my book launched. Within a week, it hit number one on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. Wow. Best-selling book in America. And I looked at that and I said, ah, but don't they know I'm full of shit and I hate myself? Mm. Don't they know I'm the biggest hypocrite in the world? And there and then began my next chapter of immense dissatisfaction. I just accomplished something that I've always wanted to accomplish. How many people can say they hit the number one Wall Street Journal bestseller list? Not many people. Childhood dream. And I'm twiddling my thumbs and saying, nah, nah, that didn't do it for me. And so the more that I realized 
that I was going down that path of what's next. I can't even freaking appreciate the project that I spent the last 18 months on. I can't even appreciate the fact that I've just done something that 0.001% of book authors will ever do. What the heck is going on? And it was kismet that I connected with Marissa. It was kismet that she said, look, new Shama, you should try it. And I was like, good, I will sign me up. When do we begin? August 2nd, Tuesday. Two weeks after reconnecting with Marissa, which was two weeks after the launch of my book. So, I, you know, I can't say that I premeditated this for a long time. I can't even say that I had all my hopes and dreams banking on this one therapy to change my life. But there it was at the right moment, at the right time. And all it took was me to appreciate the miracle that had presented itself right there. And that was the opportunity. So what, so I'm, I'm assuming based on what you're telling me, you weren't doing any homework and kind of weighing the odds and like, is this the right thing for me? You just said yes. Well, so I said yes, because that's what I do. And then I, I kind of backed up a little bit. Now I, I've, I've done my homework through the years. I mean, we, we were early investors in a company called MindMed, which is uh, a psychedelic company that God, we invested in late 2020. It went public early 2021. It's doing all right, but but I, I, I had read so many of their clinical trials, doing clinical trials on LSD and psilocybin for ADHD, OCD, depression, all these things. So I've been familiar with the industry. I've been familiar with these things. It's not like I was coming in as a direct idiot with naivete when someone gives me the opportunity to do something that I've already recreationally tried and do it in a clinical setting that has proven statistics to fight off depression. Yeah, I said yes, because Marissa was the one that was was inviting me and I trusted Marissa. That's all that matters, right? But then I went home. I was home in late July for a couple weeks. And I went over to a friend's house who's like my mom's best friend. She's kind of like a second mother, guardian, therapist, friend, everything for me. And I told her that I was doing this and she got scared shitless. And she's a therapist. She's got a hundred things behind her name. She knows shit, but she got scared because she has seen where giving a prescription of ketamine to specific people that were treatment resistant, it went the bad route. Uh, Her son, it enhanced psychosis. Mm. Those people woke up in like foreign cities and were like, how did I get here? What do I do here? What was the purpose of me coming here? It's probably something that came up in my journey. Yeah. So, you know, there's always going to be stories on both sides of the aisle. So she was scared shitless and her son was very excited. And he's a, he's a doctor. He's a hell of a, a medical doctor and, and he's participated and, um, he was excited. So I'm weighing both of these odds. You know, I show up to my first journey on Tuesday, August 2nd, kind of nervous. 
Yeah, walk us through but what happened. Minute, yeah. Yeah. So what they do, Nushama Wellness sets you up for six journeys. Yes. And you really should do these journeys over the period of three to four weeks. So I did two, two, two per week for three weeks. Was it the nasal spray and, or was it the IV? Oh, yeah, I, IV. So so by the way, there's many different ketamine-assisted therapy companies on the market. A few of my buddies were investors and are advisors of another company called Mindbloom, which does lozenge in the comfort of your own home, and you take it on your own, and you log in to Zoom, and you talk with a therapist. But it's like a fully like self-guided experience, hmm. and you do it like seven times. My buddy did it. He said he loved it. I thought it was great, but I know that I suck at accountability. And if someone sent me seven lozenges of ketamine, I'm going to lose them in my bathroom, never do it, and be out $4,000 or something. I don't know, whatever. And uh, so I didn't want to do that. So the fact that Nushama Wellness had an actual physical location, now they're opening up another one in, in Brooklyn but they've got three in New York. Well, they've got two. They're about to have three in New York City. I said, I'm going in. I want to look and feel and smell and touch this place. And, you know, you, it's funny. You, you know, they, they, they say, you know, you got to do these things 48 hours ahead. You got to do these things 24 hours ahead. You got to do these things the morning of. You know, I think my first session was at like 9.30 a.m. So I was up at 5 to drink my coffee and eat my food and drink my water because I couldn't do anything from 5.30 to 9.30. Yeah. Uh, you know, I couldn't do any of that stuff. It just worked out. And boy, I get my backpack. There's a funny photo that I'll send you. I like, I put on my backpack with my books and my journals, my Cartier pen and like all these things. And like, I'm going off to my first day at school and I'm, <laughs> I, you know, I, I live in Brooklyn now, you know? And, and so like, I'm getting on the subway with all the other Brooklyn people going into the city at you know 8:30 a.m. for their commute. Yeah, the train's going to work. packed. Right, the train's packed. I'm on the L train. I transfer at Union Square. I get on the four, five, six. I get on the six train. I get off. I walk two blocks. I check in with the security guard downstairs. All the finance bros in Midtown East are walking into the same. It's 51st Street and Madison Avenue. 53rd Street, Madison the Avenue. The heart of the give, city. You know, the, the heart of the city. And I give the security guard my ID and he's in a like full like button down tux. He's like a white glove butler. And I'm like, I'm going up to New Shama. He's like, have fun, man. And <laughs> I press the button on the elevator. I go up the elevator. The doors open and it's this beautiful oasis. Jungly and flowers everywhere and all these great, beautiful, nice nurses and all this comfortable seating and all these books from like Michael Pollan and Alan Watts and Ryan Holiday and all these great people. And I walk up to the check-in and I say, hi, I'm Chris. I'm checking in for my 930. And these amazing, amazing, amazing people, they lead me into one of the rooms. There's like 17 rooms in the big office in the, in the office space. And each room is named after a, um, 
a pioneer in psychedelics. Mm. You know, like Alan Watts or Timothy Leary, Michael Pollan or Timothy Leary or, 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 you know, rabbi, whatever, whatever, like all these different things. And so they lead me into the chair and I sit down in the chair and the nurses begin the process of like welcoming me and taking my vitals and weighing me and all these like really clinical things. And after like 20 minutes of that, I go pee for the last time. Um, I come back to the chair and Dr. Steven walks through the door. He is Steven Radowitz is, is like the main, uh, one of the main doctors there. And, and he's in charge of your dosage. Now he's also just a legendary dude. And so he's like conversational and welcoming you. And he's had a wonderful history with you and all these things. And you're talking dosage. And he's like, look, your trip can either go this much or this much or somewhere in between. And based on what I know about you, I'd like to start you here, right? It's not your first time. Take. I wrote my whole last book on psilocybin. So I know how to take psychedelics. So he was like, let's start you off here. I believe the first starting dose would, was um, one milligram per kilogram of me. So one milligram of ketamine per kilogram of my body weight. That's why it was important for them to measure. And we agree. And he's like, dude, you're going you're gonna to have a great time. I'll come see you after. Sit there. James or Barra are going to come in and, and see you. And um, they'll get you going. So were you nervous at this point? I know you said you walked in and you were kind of scared. I was kind of nervous until I saw the place and I was like, okay, this place is like legit and welcoming and professional. The nurses were the nicest people on the, on the, on the planet. And you know, that dissipated the mood. And then seeing Dr. Steven there was like, okay, like I brought up my nervousness and he's like, okay, let me object, 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 and welcome and guide you. Great. And then in came Bera. And Bera is was my first integration guide. And she is this like flowing maternal, kind of knew that she'd be a guide or a shaman when she was like two. This is how much of that energy <laughs> she she's legit, got in right. every fiber of her body. You know, she's a new mama of like a eight year, eight month old. You know, she's just this flowing goddess, and she like a walks healer through the door. Vibe, right, a healer, just great and smart and well spoken and curious and all these things. And I'm like, okay, fuck it, I'm gonna be fine. I'm gonna be great. And I go back in the zero gravity chair. Bera is talking with me. Cindy comes in. She puts the one milligram per kilogram into the IV. You know, I'm hooked up to an IV. I'm not going anywhere. I'm there. (laughs) And she, and I know that that's like the start of my seven minute timer her five or seven minute timer. And so I've got my uh, eye mask that goes down like this. Bera is holding onto the headphones for the moment. Bera is sitting on the chair and we start doing breathing exercises. I'm like, all right, 
this is this is happening. This is this is going to about like four minutes into the breathing exercises, my lips go numb. I'm like, okay, this is the first sign. I'm going deeper. I'm going deeper. She starts doing inner child work, right? At the very first session. She's talking to you first, during this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's she's wow. leading me through a breath work exercise. Okay. And in that first, by like minute five, she starts, you know, saying like, all right, so Chris, I want you to imagine something. You're sitting in a a couch in a really safe space. Think about that space. What is that space? I'm thinking to myself, safe space, couch. I started thinking about this white couch in my friend Matan and Lee's home in upstate New York. It's an mm. old like six-bedroom log cabin built in 1861, 1862, that kind of thing. Really safe space. But it was so warm and it was so welcoming. And I was like chopping wood and it was snowing outside. And Barra says, all right, so five-year-old Chris is going to run into the home and like run into your arms. Mm. Imagine five-year-old Chris running up to you. What are you guys doing? And I'm like, we're fucking cooking and we're chopping wood and little Chris is there and it's snowing outside and it is a really comfy vibe. And then Barra puts on the headphones. She walks out the door. The beautiful music starts. And off I go. What does the music, that that was the the music last, sound like? Uh, trippy music. Uh, trippy. You know, it, it, has, it has elements of some of the songs are cold. Some of the songs are warm. Hmm. Some of the songs are hopeful. Some of the songs are uh, peaceful. Some of the songs have Mayan, Oaxacan flair. Like indigenous, right? Uh, indigenous flair. Some of them have an Indian flair. Some of them have a neutral flair. It, it's all different. Um, the music, which I didn't find out until uh, session five, the music was expertly curated by the guy James, who took over as my integration guide. So anyways, Barris sends me in there and you it completely disassociates you from your body. You're sitting in the chair. It's a safe space. You know that there's four nurses and five doctors right outside the door. You're not going anywhere. It's a super safe building. I met the doorman. We're not going to get robbed. <laughs> but you're you're sitting there and you just float off into Never Never Land, and the music is guiding you. It's inspiring different thoughts. You're thinking about different things. Um, you know nothing about your body, although if you wanted to raise your arm, you can raise your arm. You can move your arm. If you move the eye mask up, oh, there's my body. Cool. <laughs> it's fine. You're good. You're still there but it's taking you into a disassociative state. Did it feel like a dream? It felt like meditation on steroids, mm. which meditation is like, there's an old quote from Marcus Aurelius. Let me actually read it. Marcus Aurelius on retirement. Marcus Aurelius was a um, emperor from like 161 to 100. AD. 
right? The Roman Empire. He was the fifth and last great emperor of Rome. And he had like the Antonine Plague and political usurpers and social divide, class warfare, fighting foreign wars, running out of money, lost his wife, lost his kids, all these things. And he wrote down what helped him get through all these things. And one of my favorite quotes of his states, men seek retreats for themselves, houses in the country and seashores and mountains. And thou too art wont to desire such things very much, but this is altogether a mark of the most common sort of men. For it is in thy power, whenever thou shalt choose, to retire into thyself. For Mm. nowhere, either with more quiet or more freedom from troubles, does a man retire than into his own soul. That's like my favorite quote ever. And it's essentially saying, Yo, I know the world's tough. We got the plague and the pandemic. We got social divide and class warfare and running out of money and fighting foreign wars and blah, blah, blah. Shit's tough out there. People are dying left and right. The only place that can give you true freedom from those troubles is within your own soul. And meditation gets me there. Yoga doesn't even really get me there. But meditation with my own mantra, my own internal practice gets me there for only 20 minutes. Adding a drug to that intention, that really gets me there. So what happens? How are you feeling at this point? You are, I think the, I think the first song that James played was actually like a talk from Ram Dass. It was like mm. 30 seconds of a talk from Ram Dass, or like a minute. I can't keep track of time in there, but it's like a minute or two or maybe of like Ramdas speaking. And it, it was all about like, I am loving awareness. I am loving <laughs> awareness. I am compassion. And I'm like, did it feel well, annoying yeah, or were you like that, deep in it? <laughs> I would have been no, like, oh, no, I'm like, no way. I'm like, fuck yeah, Ramdas. I am loving <laughs> awareness. I'm the last one to see it. So thank you for seeing it. But like, Hell yeah, I'm a compassionate dude. I don't give myself (laughs) enough credit for that, but I am loving awareness. Hell yeah, you get it, bro. You get it. And so you you start to believe it, and you start to develop more compassion. And, you know, I thought of relationships, and I thought of friendships, and I thought of my grandmother, and I thought of things that I needed to bring more empathy and compassion and loving awareness into. And that included things outside of me and it included things within me. You see visions at this point? Oh my God, it, they are vivid. I mean, you are literally, you are remembering scenes that you've never thought of before. And you are connecting dots between different things that you never even realized were connected. Mm. What did that and, look and like a for lot you? Of it, so, give me an example. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip right to the good stuff. All right. So, thanks. in order to in order to paint a vivid picture of my visions, I'm gonna say that in my first two sessions, my first two Nushama sessions, yeah, I did good, but I mainly thought about like my business. 
and I need to have more compassion and I want to just love and empathize more with like different business relationships. It was kind of like, it was great, but it was like, okay, businessy type of stuff. The third and fourth sessions, I really started diving into like personal things and seeing beauty in my friends and seeing beauty in the way I conduct myself and seeing this relationship and this and this and all these different whatever. So now we're one step deeper. By the sixth session, let me paint you the picture. My sixth session was on a Thursday. On Wednesday afternoon, I get an email from a client of mine who is the chief of staff of a company that we've been producing a bunch of team building experiences with through the years or through the year. And she emails me saying that one of the people that that works at their company that has come to an experience passed away. And they asked if we could reschedule the virtual gratitude experience we were going to do with their team on Friday. They needed to reschedule it for later in the month. They needed to give their team time to process. So I'm like, of course, of course. Well, that was Wednesday. Thursday morning, as I'm in rush hour subway traffic to get into Nushama, I look down at my phone and the chief of staff of that company post a photo of my book, her holding my book on Instagram. And she says, how crazy is it that the day our employees are receiving, you know, all their employees, you know, they, they bought books for all their employees. So it just so happened that that day, the day, the day after their coworker passed away, the day I was going to my sixth Nushama session was the day that book was finally coming in the mail to all their houses. And I'm like, she says, you know, I hope people read this book and at least take, you know, a few words out of it and put it into action and find gratitude in this situation. I'm like, oh shit, that's heavy. So I'm sitting in the chair at Nushama. I'm hooked up to an IV at 53rd Street and Madison Avenue, looking out at the Chrysler building or whatever. And there's a bunch of employees of this one company who are opening up my book the day after their coworker passes away. And they're using that book to find gratitude through hard times. Mm. And some spouse, the spouse of this deceased employee is likely opening up their front door, looking down and seeing a package with my book in it the day after their spouse passes away. And I'm sitting in there and I'm like, damn, dude, that's heavy. And I go to my journey with that on my mind, ready for anything that pops up. And you know what popped up? Was I realized how much I have a love-hate, mainly hate, relationship with my book. I mm. realized how little compassion I've shown to my book even though it's gotten me all these great things. And so the book was this big focus for the first part of my new sh- my sixth journey. And I was looking at it and I was developing compassion for it. I was like, "Oh my god, I got to I got to love my book. I got to I got to train my book. I got to rewrite my book. I got to gift my book. I got to treat this book as like my baby. This is my baby. This is my book baby." And so I started <laughs> seeing like me holding this book that was like a baby. And time kept going on and it stopped looking like a book and it started looking like a baby. 
And I looked down through my vision and I saw me holding a baby. It didn't have a face. The face was just a glowing white light. Molly was there. I was there. There was a baby there. Molly's your girlfriend. Yeah. Molly's my girlfriend. And I started thinking, holy crap, maybe the next big thing for Chris is not some new business model, new business book, no blah, blah, blah. Maybe it's fatherhood. Hmm. Allison, that's the first time in my life I've ever seen myself as a father. Ever. Ever. And I got out of that trip and I sat up and I looked at James and I told him this and he's like, yeah, dude, the writing's on the wall. You've been searching all your life for places to put your wisdom and a baby is hell of a place to put it. I'm like, all right, man, that was pretty cool. So it took me six sessions to get there. But, you know, once you're there and and it helps you see those things that you've never seen before, you know, it it helps you see the most important thing you'd ever want to see in life, yourself as as a parent. That's the main reason we're on this planet, right? I've been distracted from seeing that all my life. Did you Um, think you were worthy of being a father? No way. I thought I was like the great fun uncle. A funkle. I thought that's all. Funkle. I thought that's what I'd be the rest of my life. Now, I'm not saying, you know, I I get out of the session and I say, all right, honey, let's go get pregnant. Let's have a baby tomorrow. But at least I can see it. And that helps me look at a whole lot of things in the world a whole lot differently. If I could armchair this for just a moment, what I'm noticing is in the beginning, you talked about little Chris coming in. And a lot of times when Mm -hmm. you, when they do the inner child stuff, little Chris comes in. And what the hope Mm -hmm. is, is that you're compassionate to little Chris, because that's what Chris needs. Chris needed a hug. Little Chris needed a hug. Little Chris needed to be seen. And now Mm -hmm. to kind of come full circle, to have your own, that's really powerful. But I, but also, you know, I think what is missing that you're like, fuck, I'm number one on Wall Street Journal books and it's not enough. And I wonder you walking out of these experiences, and I want to quote this, because these are done, I'm looking at WebMD, you know, like I've, I've got an MD in Google, I guess, but um, they talked about for 30% of people who complete the series of ketamine treatments, that's it. They never come back because they feel better. And I wonder mm-hmm. if you feel differently now. I would say that two of the greatest sabotaging parts of my personality is that I have an incessant need to control everything and I have an unquenchable restlessness. The restlessness is what makes me say, all right, just hit the bestseller list. What's next? The restlessness says, all right, I'm getting bored of this thing. What's next? The restlessness says, life's too short. I must do everything there is to do in life in this short amount of time. Since my six-part Nushama wellness journey, I am less controlling, which means trusting others. What does others, that look like? Uh, yeah. Not getting so worked up when things don't go my way. And trusting others to do their way more. 
The goal of leadership is, is not to be the smartest person in the room. It's to hire the best and the brightest and, you know, to support their great gifts. I don't do that very well. At least this is a start. My restlessness, you know, I, I would, I would say, um, I'd say the biggest part is instead of immediately dreaming of what could come next, what can I build next? What can I distract myself with next? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, why don't I actually just like appreciate what I got and sit with it and like aim for boring aim for like <laughs> uh-uh. there's no way there's like, no way Chris um, <laughs> not you. no but but um, one of the cool things that it helped me do was actually say no to a lot of ego uh, producing activities like leading up to my book launch I I knew I knew that once I came out with my book, I was going to become immensely dissatisfied. And so months ago, I was like, all right, I got to hedge against that dissatisfaction. Mm. I got to give myself something to look forward to in the fall so that I have another thing to distract myself from like the core shit that I need to deal with in my life. Um, and so like before my book even came out, I signed on to give my next TEDx talk in November. And so the book came out and I was like, all right, so the TEDx talk, I don't really want to do, but it's going to be great for the resume and it'll distract me from having to think about my own life. And well, that's something to look forward to. Well, at some point I started thinking through the journeys, it's probably not the best thing to do to give this next TED talk. I should probably just focus in on me and figure out myself first before I step back on stage with some new idea worth spreading. Right? The restless Chris would have been like, oh, that's the next thing that you could do because uh, you're dissatisfied with what you got going on right now. But the ketamine started helping me appreciate what I got going on right now and made me need that next ego-boosting activity. And so it just so happened that in the midst of our six-part journey, I was invited uh to attend my buddy's uh, wedding in Israel on the same day that that TED Talk would have been in November. And after or during my fifth journey, it came to me, I got to say no to the TED Talk. I got to say yes to going to the wedding. And that was it. So a lot of these big decisions kind of, you know, came to me during the sessions. Do you feel like it is almost like a main line to your intuition? Yes, absolutely. It's a main line to cut through the bullshit that I've surrounded myself with in life. One thing I know right? about you is that you have really opened your arms as, as for however many years I've known you or talked to you, you've opened your arms to self-awareness, you know, and you almost to your detriment, like you're so self-aware that you're like, fucking asshole. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, what you're walking <laughs> into uh, when you're maybe not in the right headspace. I know that because I share that, you know, I see that in you yeah. is, because I do that myself as well. And I remember watching you in your TED talks before I had ever talked to you before I had interviewed you. And I remember thinking, oh, I can see his anger. Not that you are outwardly angry, but I could see it. I could see it simmering. And the moment you got on with me today, I felt a calm that I hadn't seen before in the couple of times that I've spoken oh, with you. In. 
Someone, someone said that yesterday. Oh, my own co-founder of the Australian division of our company. I talked to him for the first time since my ketamine journey. And he said the exact same thing. He's like, dude, you have a different energy. And, and for that, that in itself, ketamine was worth it. Hmm. Also, ketamine helped me. It's helped me get the courage to wean off sleeping pills. I've been addicted to sleeping pills for like three years. I'm now down to taking one eighth of a pill. I'm down, you know, I'm down from a full pill to one eighth. That's since incredible. Starting the the ketamine journeys, so it's a, a lot of tremendous, tremendous benefit. Look, I, I, I'm not going to say I'm cured, right? I, I, I'm I'm going to say that this is a good start. You know, I think that it's a tremendous start, but if I got to keep going back to taking these journeys once every two months, uh, once every six weeks, once a month, I don't know. I don't know what the prescription is, what they're going to upsell me into. No, I, if I got to keep going back once every two months for this kind of journey to invest in self-awareness, yeah, I'm going to go back. Yeah. I mean, even from a business perspective, I remember I got out of my second journey and I took out a post-it note and I took out a post-it note and I wrote down, I am the elder. The blessings can come my way. I have suffered enough. Mm. It's time to bring healing to myself and then to others. I am the elder. For all of my life, I've convinced myself that I was inferior to whoever or wherever around me. You got more money than me, I'm inferior. You got more employees than me, I'm inferior. You're older than me, I'm inferior. But it was through these journeys that I realized, dude, I've seen and known and understood a lot of shit that people would pay a lot of money to know. And I started seeing myself for my wisdom and the value of that wisdom. I kid you not, these journeys are probably going to unlock millions and millions of dollars in net new revenue and new business models in my way. Even just for seeing myself as, as an elder, that means that I can see myself as like a coach or a guide or an advisor. Mm. That's new for me, right? For so many years, all we've done is served teams, which is great. I love working with teams. But the CEOs of these companies who are all billionaires and eight-figure earners are saying, is, is there more? Is, is there deeper? Can, can, can we work directly with you? And I've never had anything for them. Allison, I could charge a million dollars a year per client to help someone of that caliber. Right? That's the, that's the next level shit. And, and this, this gave me the confidence to at least see it. Mm. That's a start. That's I a love- start. I don't know why it's sticking with me, but when you said, I have suffered enough. Yeah. And I wonder if it is that you have always kind of anchored your story around your suffering. And what mm-hmm. happens if you let it go? What happens yeah. if you release the suffering? What does the evolution look like? How exciting. I just thought of a new gratitude experience I need to invent. Like what right suffering, now? <laughs> yeah, what suffering in your life do you need to let go? And what type of gratitude does that inspire? Because we've got 
sessions on adversity into superpower, adversity into positive benefits, regret into gratitude, conflict into compassion, all these different sessions. But yeah, releasing your suffering and turning it into gratitude, I think probably needs to be give you 15% of I was about revenue. to say, I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm all over the finder's fee on this. <laughs> well, you know, I um, ask you this, I ask you this every time. What do you know that you wish other people could know? When I observe myself trying to control others or being a stickler or being restless with someone else's output in the past, I've really tried to control that situation and have my way. But what I hope to learn is how to be more curious and empathetic and ask better questions to help them, to help understand what they're going through and how I can help them get through that challenge. And um, boy, I, I don't have, I don't have the, the answers, but uh, you know, that's certainly something that I'm trying to work on right now. Mm, that's beautiful. How can people find you, Chris, if they want more information or want to work with you? Yeah, they could just go to 747club.org. Find me on LinkedIn. I'm a LinkedIn whore. Chris Shembra. Let's just have a chat. Go, 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 go check out Nushama Wellness. My God, they do great. How do you spell Nushama Wellness? N-U-S-H-A-M-A. Nushama Wellness. And and I get to go back in for my booster shot, my booster session uh next week in well in, in, in two in three weeks I, I i get to go in um the the fox news cnn of germany is called rtl and uh their lead u.s correspondent is one of my dearest oldest foreign friends and she's going uh they're, they're going to be interviewing me during uh, before during and after my next ketamine journey. So we'll have to send you that. Uh, they're doing a big story in Germany about it. So we'll have to send you that. It's so interesting that something like this feels like relief. And I imagine that what people want more than anything is relief. What a gift. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Again, it's powerful. My pleasure. My pleasure. I love seeing the transformation. Thanks for having me, dear. (laughs) I don't know what it is about Chris Shembra, but I find his honesty, his journey through the darkest parts of himself, and his courage so inspiring. I just connect to him so deeply, and I could listen to him for days. And if you'd like to connect with Chris, I've linked his info in the show notes. I personally would love to hear from you too. You can email me at allison at allisonhair.com or sign up for my weekly personal emails at allisonhair.com. If you'd like to hear these episodes early and ad-free, you can become a supporter at patreon.com forward slash culture changers. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.